0: The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM.
1: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, listeners. Um, I'm Giazurin, a director at Coast Solicitors. You're tuned into Inspire FM and this is the Ask Your Lawyer show. Um, I wanted you to call in on 01582 481 uh, text and WhatsApp on O Triple Seven Nine Four Eight One Eight Double Two. Today, uh, I just want to start by wishing you all Ramadan Kareem. Um, I'm hoping that you're having a fantastic Ramadan, those of you who have started. And if you're going to read Talavid tonight, I-, I hope tomorrow uh, commences very well for you. Uh, please make du'a for Atik and I, uh, um, and uh, a special uh, du'a for everyone uh, out there in Luton and beyond who's listening to our show. Um, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about a typical arrest and we're going to talk about what happens when you go to a police station, what happens to, when you go to court, all the way to a trial. And if we've got time, we'll even talk about appeals as well. To answer, I'm going to be asking the questions. And today, I've got with me my colleague Atik Malik, uh, Director of Liberty Laws. Many of you will know who he is. He's an activist, a lawyer, and general social justice warrior in and around Luton. Um, I've said this many times before, he's worked within our local community tirelessly to bring around social change uh, in terms of justice. and. He's also been on national TV, 24 Hours in Police Custody, GMTV, and he's working in many, many me- media forums. Um, so, Atik, do you want to give just a quick salaam and Ramadan Mubarak to
0: everybody? Yes, yeah, salam to everybody, um, and Ramadan Mubarak to all of you. It's a real pleasure to be back on here again. Thank you, Giyas, for having me on here. and uh, We're kicking off Ramadan you know, uh, strong. And, yeah, you know, it's just a pleasure to be back on here and uh, have an opportunity to discuss with the listeners any concerns they might have as well. Well, Listeners, um, Atik's here.
1: And I want you to pick his brains. I want you to call in and contact us. It is the month of Ramadan. And you'll be wondering if you've got the spare hour bef- between uh, uh, your uh, tilawah, obviously, and, uh, and um, the time for iftar. So do call in if you if you want to have a chat with us. If you want to pick Atik's brains, you're more than welcome to. And we'd encourage you to all have a go at this. Um, Atik, let's start with the typical scenario. Um, a road Sorry, another road. You go into somebody goes into a car park. There's a bit of a hoo-ha. They have an argument with someone, and one person he has a fight with a group of people, beats three people up. Yeah, and he gets arrested for three typical offences. Let's go with common assault, an ABH, and a GBH. So when the police arrive, uh, they arrest him. First question is that I've been asked to ask you: Does he need to be cautioned when he's arrested?
0: So it's quite key, uh, the caution. Um, and there's, uh, when we use the word caution in, in uh, criminal law, um there's two types of caution people do get confused sometimes yeah one is the caution that people are required to have read to them when they are arrested or interviewed or when they're booked into custody and charged uh subsequently charged that is um, and the other one is a caution where you have been given a warning a reprimand and the difference between the two is this if i start with the uh, latter one first um if you are being investigated for a criminal offence, when the interview and investigation process has concluded, the police have a number of options of disposal, is what they're called. Okay. And what they can do is either drop the case, they can charge you and send you to court. So that's the two extremes, yeah? Mm -hmm. So you either win the case at the police station stage, the case finishes, or they send you to court. But there's a third option. If you're somebody of good character, or somebody who hasn't committed an offence for quite a while, and the offence you're facing isn't an indictable-only offence. Indictable-only are serious offences, such as, for example, murder or Section 18 GBH. Right. Um you can get what's called a caution, which is still a criminal record, but it's not a conviction. And it's another way of dealing with cases so that you don't have to go to court. You don't have a conviction on your record. You get a warning so that if in the future you do not you do something wrong again, they can take into account. So very briefly, that's what one type of caution is. Right. But the caution that you're referring to, Diaz, mm-hmm. is about when you're arrested, do you have to be cautioned? The answer to that is yes and no. Right. If someone is not cautioned, it doesn't mean that they're not under arrest. Okay. Right? You don't have to be cautioned to be under arrest. Just like you don't have to be cautioned to be interviewed, you don't have to be cautioned to be charged. However, it happens regularly. And the question is why? Why is it necessary for it to happen? It's because the police deem it necessary. There is a purpose to the caution. There is a mechanism. And the reason that you are cautioned before you are interviewed, and the reason you are cautioned when you're arrested, and the reason you're cautioned when you're charged, is for not your benefit, it's for their benefit. It's in case you say something which they wish to use as evidence. Right. And that's what it comes down to. It's for their benefit so that if you are charged with an offence, And upon charge, you say something like, ''I didn't mean to do it, it was an accident.'' Yeah. So they can use that as 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 uh, evidence. So yeah. if they haven't
1: uh, uh, um, cautioned me and I start blurting out things, is it less likely that they be able to yeah, use it's that? Yeah, more
0: likely you. that your lawyers, uh, such as ourselves, would be mm-hmm. able to get that kicked out and say, actually, this person, uh, whatever they said at this time, could not be used. Mm-hmm. But let's exp- let's expand that argument then. Why would a lawyer say, just because a caution hasn't been read out uh, to a person that whatever they've said should not be used in evidence? Mm. It's because the argument the lawyer will be running is at that point what that person spoke they weren't aware of their rights they weren't aware of their entitlements they weren't aware of the dynamics of the situation they're in they were simply saying something as a knee-jerk reaction an emotional reaction and it's not something that should be or can be uh, used as evidence so that's the sort of argument they would run and so to avoid that argument running is why the caution has been developed in English law and is used regularly by police whenever they intend or hope for anything that is said or done Mm. To be allowed to be used evidence, and doesn't mean, of course, that you can only use evidence what someone says it does um, when uh, they have been cautioned. Because, of course, we see people over time doing stuff on CCTV, or someone might say something to me which is racially derogatory or a public order offence. I can report that that person hasn't been cautioned. It's because. ...of the mechanisms of being in custody. When you are being interviewed, you're potentially in custody if you're under arrest at that time. Even if you're not, you're being interviewed so you can have information extracted from you for the purpose of evidence. And so it's one of the rules of evidence. Now, if you're under interview or you're in custody and you're asked a question by a officer of the law, a police officer that you um, are aware of your rights. Okay, I'm going
1: to come back to that in a second because basically we're going to move on to the police station and we're going to come back to those rights. Um, So, say for example, if I'm taken to a police station after this fight, am I entitled
0: to to a solicitor? You are entitled to a solicitor. Hmm. You're entitled to a solicitor of your choice. And if you uh, do not have a solicitor available in, in terms of knowing Who your solicitor is that you wish to have You're not aware of any solicitors You are entitled to what's known as a duty solicitor Right But you are entitled to speak to a solicitor That is your legal entitlement Okay But however there are The law is a funny thing Whilst you are entitled to a solicitor There are certain offences Where if you say no to Mm. a request Because I want to speak to my solicitor Right you could actually still be committing an offence, believe it or not. An example of that, for example, is under the Road Traffic Act, where someone's been arrested for driving under the influence. Mm. They've taken to a police station, and it's normally in the law because it it doesn't really make sense, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't agree with it. But imagine you've never been arrested before, you've been taken to a police station, and they say to you, listen, you are now going to provide us a specimen of your breath. If you say... No, because I want to speak to my solicitor. Technically, that the minute you say no, you commit an offence because it's a statutory offence. So it's strange that there are still anomalies in the law where, even though you're entitled to a lawyer at any time and take advice, if you don't comply with a certain request in you know, a reasonable or straight straight away at that time. You could still be committing an offense. But generally speaking, yes, you are entitled to a solicitor of your choice.
1: Excellent. What, what about this typical scenario? And, uh, and um, I don't want to criticize anyone or come across critical, but sometimes a lot of clients, you and I both know, say to us, oh, well, look, we've been told that it'll take ages, there'll be delays, XYZ. What should cl- cl- clients do? The make is
0: very clear to everybody out there listening. If a police officer ever says to you that, It's going to take a long time for a solicitor to get here, or are you sure, in any shape or form, directly or indirectly. That is a method of trying to dissuade you from uh, um, uh, exercising your right to legal advice. That is unlawful. That is something which needs to be reported. I'd encourage each and every single one of you to bring that to the, to the forefront. That is not something that any police officer should be doing, interfering with your right to legal representation in any shape or form by trying to dissuade you. And it It's completely wrong. First of all, it's wrong on a principle level, it's wrong on a legal level, but let's take it forward one step further to what really matters. Is it also wrong factually? Yes, it is. And the reason it's wrong factually is this. When you're arrested, and Giyas is, I'm sure, going to go through this shortly, there are certain processes that take place when you're under arrest before you get to the stage for interview. Mm. So let's say, for example's sake, those processes, which I'm sure we're going to cover soon, take three hours. And you're arrested at midday. Let's make the maths easy. You're arrested at midday. If those processes that need to take place before interview take three hours, that means you will not be ready for interview until at least three o'clock. So whether a solicitor's is arriving on his shining horse or not, you're not getting out of there until you're interviewed, you're not getting interviewed until 3 o'clock, irrespective of what else whatever else is happening. So if you ask for a solicitor, the police are not going to wait until 3 o'clock to call the solicitor. It's common sense, isn't it? Because the police officer wants to get out of the police station himself as quick as possible. The police officer themselves have got other work they want to do. So the police officer would call the solicitor at 2 o'clock at the very latest and say, Mr Malik or Mr Udin or whoever else it is, can you get to the police station for three o'clock, please? Because that's that is when we will be ready for interview. Mm. So what that means then is whether you ask for a solicitor or not, you'll be getting interviewed at three o'clock, not any earlier. So this whole narrative that by not asking for a solicitor you're going to be dealt with earlier is uh, is uh, is just a myth. Yeah, it's comp- it's not true. And anyone who says that to you if it's a police officer is doing something wrong, an act of misconduct, needs to be reported. Right. What about this other thing, this,
1: uh, which I've heard? I actually heard it last week a client of mine said to me after they've come out of the police station. They said, listen, I'm innocent. I didn't need a solicitor in the interview. What would you say to people like that where they say,
0: I'm innocent. I didn't think I needed a solicitor. The fact of the matter is this. you do not You do not know what exactly is being investigated. Unfortunately, it's not just a matter of innocence and guilt at police station into your criminal proceedings. It's about evidence. You could be innocent, but be in the wrong place at the wrong time, or calling the wrong person, and you could be taken to court for an offence which you haven't committed. Simply because you're innocent doesn't necessarily mean that you should be answering questions, because they put it to you like this... There's an allegation that you've done something wrong Mm. and that you were in a certain place at a certain time. But it's all based on intelligence. There's no actual evidence. So they ask you that question. There's five people saying that whoever that person was that day, this is what that person did. But it wasn't you. But because you think you're innocent, you answer questions putting yourself at that place, at that time, on that date. What that means then, you've just triggered a whole series of processes where it's very likely you end up at court, where you'll be likely uh, subject to bail conditions for God knows how many months, at risk of losing your liberty, having your record tarnished, because no matter how strong or weak your case is, there's no certainty at trial. And yet, by answering those questions, there's a risk that you could end up there. Whereas had you had a lawyer who'd had disclosure and had an idea of what's going on, he might have advised you differently and might have advised you to go no comment, and you might have ended up in a situation where you don't end up having to even consider court proceedings because the evidence was just not there in the first place. So, you you have to be very, very careful.
1: Alhamdulillah. Um, Another scenario. If I can't speak English, or if someone can't speak English, are they entitled to an
0: interpreter, Atik? If you cannot speak English, that means you cannot understand what's being said to you, and what you're saying cannot be tra- they can't understand it either basically I'm going to take it one step back
1: quickly before before we say that. what about if you can't speak in English when you're be- when uh, you're being ar- arrested because that's happened as well we just want to take a statement of someone and then later on it transpires
0: the guard doesn't speak English or the young lady doesn't speak English. what happens then? so what happens then is as we said earlier you don't need to be cautioned uh, to be arrested. So if you're arrested and cautioned and you don't understand the language, what normally happens, again, this is why they do this, when you're booked into the custody suite of the the police station, um, the custody sergeant will check whether you can understand or not, and if you cannot, they will then have an interpreter read your rights to you over the telephone in your language. And that's to ensure that you do understand what your rights are, and you understand uh, what the caution is. But this can create another problem. What if you don't understand the language... A plain officer comes up to you, says, I am a police officer and tries to arrest you.
1: Mm.
0: You turn around thinking someone attacking you, give him a left hook and knock him out. What happens then? What do you think, he has? What do you think?
1: <laughs> I think that shouldn't happen. But go on, explain to us what would happen. Go on.
0: So in that situation, on the face of it, you'd first of all get arrested for assaulting a police officer or even an assault. But then what would happen is that you would be putting forward your defence that in actual fact you were mistaken you did not understand the information that was being given to you. You thought it was a police officer. So you thought it was a normal person attacking you. And you had no way of knowing they were a police officer. You did not know they were placing you on the arrest. And that's why that piece of information is so important that you actually understand what is going on. And so if you do make a mistake, there is a defence. But of course, even in self-defence, you have to act reasonably. Yeah. So please, whenever if you think you're under attack number one, you don't have to wait to be attacked to use self-defense and number two, if you do use self-defense please act reasonably and do not do certain things we take you over the line because I've seen many situations where people are genuinely acting in self-defense but during the course of that, they've stepped over the line so they end up in a situation where even though they started off in the right they end up in the wrong so we need to be very careful with that Brilliant. What about vulnerable people? And
1: by vulnerable, I'm I'm specifically referring to mental health issues and learning difficulties. What extra rights are they afforded in a police station?
0: Vulnerable people, um, two types of people fall into that category. One is the mentally ill and also youths, Mm. children, people under the age of 18. And in both those scenarios, to safeguard the vulnerable person, an appropriate adult needs to be present. Now the type of appropriate adult changes depending on the vulnerability of the person and for a for youth in ordinary circumstances Anyone over the age of 18 who is not linked to the case or involved in any way whatsoever um, can be the appropriate adult Sometimes a situation might happen where family members are not able to do that because they might be part of the case And right. if another appropriate adult cannot be found then people, uh, so the police will then get social services to have a team of appropriate adults ready for police stations to come down and act as appropriate adult for the day. There are situations, I don't know if you've come across this, Giyaz, because you've been in practice for a while. Have you ever had a situation where the police have asked you, the solicitor, to be a appropriate? Adult? I personally haven't, no. Yeah, I've had that in the past and a few other people. Now, technically speaking, there's nothing stopping the solicitor from doing that. But... There are a lot of factors why a solicitor wouldn't... I mean, one of the things is... A proper adult becomes responsible for that person So if I'm the proper adult for a youth and I'm the solicitor as well Then I have to ensure that person gets home safely as well Yeah. Further to that, as solicitors, we have to act within not just our licence to act But also our insurance And there's no insurance policy out there that covers a solicitor to act as a appropriate adult so if there's any young budding lawyers, wannabe lawyers out there and you're just getting into the game and you end up at a police station where a police officer is being impatient, he who wants to go home, the proper adult isn't picking up the phone or stuck in traffic somewhere, and they say to you, listen, why don't you be proper adult? You're the solicitor, just be proper adult as well and, and let's do this. I would always advise every lawyer out there to refuse that. It's not in your client's interest and it's not in your interest to do that just to make the life of a police officer easier. Our job is to represent our clients fully and properly and safeguard them. And you can only do it properly if you're doing your role only, not not somebody else's role as well. Yeah,
1: so don't take up the dual role is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah? Okay, um, do I have to wait till interview time to speak to my solicitor?
0: No, you can speak to a solicitor at any time. And unfortunately, like you or not, there are many police officers out there who don't know that either. Uh, and would we'll, uh, ask when a solicitor attends, why are you here? Did we call you? It's not a matter of the police calling us. That's one of the reasons we attend a police station. So if a police officer calls a solicitor and says, we're ready for interview and we attend, yes, that's one scenario. But we're not there for the benefit of the police and when they're ready for interview, we are there for the client. So if a client says to us, can you attend? And if we agree to attend and a solicitor attends, the police are obliged to let, does the client know that you're there and they're obliged unless there's a situation which is stopping it such as maybe there's something happening in custody or genuinely there's a bit of a delay because there's not a room available or someone's busy but otherwise that is part of your access to legal advice your solicitor attends they should allow you to let you speak to him fine or her.
1: okay other than my solicitor what if i wanted to let someone know that i'm there am i allowed to do that
0: and is that right guaranteed no that varies because there is a power called uh, uh, of allow, of keeping a person incommunicado mm. so incommunicado means that you're not allowed to communicate with anyone in, in the outside world often in serious cases fast moving cases where police wish to preserve evidence do not want certain people tipped off for something you will not be allowed to speak to anybody any of your family or anyone until you've been interviewed at the very least and that's quite normal it's normal power so please do not panic if that happens that's normal procedure. It doesn't mean that you've done something seriously wrong. It's just sometimes when certain offences happen, the police have their own processes that are triggered and one of them is of incommunicado and it does happen. Okay, Tig. But does that include your solicitors as well? It shouldn't do, no. Because you should be allowed to speak to your solicitors at any time. I have seen the uh, police try and use that in the past and say, well, right now we cannot. Um And then it really comes down to whether or not the police have acted lawfully or not, and that would come down in full examination of the facts at the time. Generally speaking, it would be very difficult to see a situation where a person is not allowed to speak to their solicitor, uh, unless there's logistical reasons, that's different. But in the absence of logistical reasons, it would be very difficult to see a situation where police officers could genuinely establish why they a person could not have access to legal advice it might be a situation where a certain solicitor is a problem has happened in the past where the police are concerned there might be a conflict of interest again conflict of interest is not a question for the police it's actually a question for um the solicitors mm. but there might be a situation where a police officer might be genuinely concerned that a solicitor might be linked to somebody and there might be an issue with evidence etc again that's a very serious allegation to make has to have substantial grounds to do that so if a police officer was to take that step and stop someone speaking to a solicitor they would open themselves up to a huge complaint and potential proceedings if they were unable to justify the position at a later stage um but even in that situation if that happened it doesn't stop the police or the person in custody from asking for another solicitor right. the bottom line is you have access to legal advice is your legal right um, and so if you know if it's not one then maybe another but one way or another you should be allowed to have access to legal advice what
1: if I choose one solicitor and want to change my mind and choose another solicitor so for example yeah, I chose the duty solicitor then I remember hold on a minute I know these firm. I want to call that firm they're my firm what happens then can you do
0: that See, on the face of it, you'd think that was an easy, simple question, but it's a bit more complicated uh, than it seems at first blush. The problem we have is when we talk about funding. Mm. This is where it all gets complicated. So if you put funding to one side, you can choose what solicitor you want at whatever stage you want. It's your choice. Nobody can decide that for you. So whether it's at the court stage or the police stage, if you decide to have sister A, or someone's given that sister to you, and then you decide to have sister B, and then you just chop and change after sister C. That's your choice. The problem happens when it comes to funding. Mm. So, at the police station, say, when you ask for a duty solicitor or you've got a solicitor, first of all, the funding for that and the police station legal aid it means that a reference number is given to a firm. Now, if firm number two comes along, which you want to use, and firm number one doesn't release the reference code so the firm number two can use that reference code to get paid for coming to see you, then that can cause a difficulty. But if you decide to pay this firm, second firm to come and see you privately, you have your own arrangement, or the second firm says, look, in between me and my client, I'm not, whether I charge them or not, but I'm happy to represent, and you put the funding bit to one side. Then yeah, it doesn't matter whether the first firm releases it or not. The solicitor can come. Fine, and, uh, but then uh, sorry, you to go sorry. to court. The court proceedings are much more complicated. We're going to get. We're going
1: to get into okay, that. In a bit. Just to, just to top that off,
0: police station funding normally do you have to pay privately or is it free? Everyone in the country is entitled to a police station legal aid. Okay. Mm. So, what that means then is you don't have, it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, it doesn't matter how serious your case is not, you can get a a solicitor to attend on legal aid there. But there's a catch to that. The catch to that is this That not every sister necessarily Will agree to attend on legal aid So for example You get arrested in Manchester And you want a sister from London To come and see you The legal aid might not cover their travel etc So that sister might say to you Look you're entitled to a sister on legal aid So locally or you do over In that area might come But if you want myself to come From this far away In these circumstances for It would have to incur a charge oh. So in principle, yes, you're entitled to legal aid and a solicitor, but sometimes the solicitor of your choice might not be willing to do it on legal aid. And in that situation, you might have to be ready to pay.
1: I'm very conscious that we're going to a break in about 30 seconds. So, take a quick couple of questions, uh, quick fire. They haven't given me any food in the blanket. What should I
0: do? Complain. Well, you ring the bell and you ask for it. If it doesn't work, you ask to speak to your solicitor you uh, speak to your solicitor on the phone your solicitor can then speak to the custody sergeant and if it still looks like nothing's really happening they can speak to the inspector duty inspector who's in charge of the whole police station um, in the past believe it or not Gias, we've had situations where we've escalated it beyond the duty inspector and written a letter by email that urged facts to the chief constable of the police station mm. it doesn't happen often but where we've thought there's been serious breaches we've gone that far as well
1: MashaAllah, brilliant answers, Uh, viewers, uh, listeners, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am and getting insight from Atiq. We're going to be back after the break, where we're going to be listening to him explain what happens when we get to court stage and the rights that you have during the actual interview. You're listening to an Inspire FM
0: podcast, making available our popular programmes from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM.
1: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, listeners. Uh, welcome back to the Ask Your Lawyer show. Uh, I'm Gia Zudin, and I've got my star guest, uh, Atiq Malik, here. And we Today we're talking about an arrest taking you from the police station right through to a trial. Um, listeners, we haven't had any calls or contacts yet, so please do call in on 01582481822 or WhatsApp us on 0777941822. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about um, the, the police not giving um, the person uh, arrested any food or drink or anything like that um, I think the next question that I want to go into is um, let's pretend that they've suffered injuries how are their own injuries going to get recorded would you mean say that again please so the person goes into the uh, um, oh, right, police yeah. station they've been injured themselves yeah uh, obviously they're, they're going to get shown injuries of the, the people that they've injured what about their own injuries how do those get recorded well
0: when they are booked into custody the it's quite a Lengthy series of questions the custody sergeant has to go through for, as part of the booking and procedure, and during that process, the custody sergeant should ask, um, "How are you feeling? Do you suffer from anything? Have you got any injuries, etc." So at that point, if the person uh, tells the sergeant, he will have to make note of that and write that down. Mm. Um, if you wish, before the interview takes place and during your time in custody. Uh, your welfare is obviously at the forefront and the police have to ensure that you're fit for interview And In, as part of that process you can also when say to the police that look i want to see a doctor because i've suffered an attack i want to make sure that i'm okay right. or if you are actually feeling unwell you should ask to see a doctor and then so they can then call a medical examiner to attend and see you And that person can also take uh, photographs or make a note of injuries. And you can, of course, ask the police officers themselves because when a police officer is investigating anything, Um, they are investigators um, for the purposes of the CPIA. CPIA stands for the Criminal Procedures and Investigations Act. CPIA code um, the. It puts a burden on every single police investigator, whether it's civilian investigators or actual police investigators, that they have to uh, comply with. And one of the main principles of the code is that the police have to explore, investigate every avenue possible, whether or not that avenue points towards their case or away from their case. And so that includes any injuries you might have suffered is potentially evidence. And so police are under a duty to secure and record that evidence and so if you make it clear to the police officers are in custody or or the interviewing officer or anybody else and you say to them that look can you record this they're actually under a legal duty as investigators to record that um uh, accordingly so that falls under that jurisdiction okay um i'm at the
1: custody desk like you say now the sergeant's finished with me but now he's asking me to give him my fingerprints dna and take my photos i haven't even been interviewed i haven't been charged with anything is he allowed to do that So
0: that is part of the um, process of being under arrest. So when you're under arrest, the police have the power to do that. And there are many situations where people are arrested and not even interviewed. Mm. And are are sent straight to court. So it's not necessarily a case of every time you're arrested, you have to be interviewed. There are many situations where people are not interviewed. Sometimes it's because... A person's arrested for breach of bail or a court order, and so they're, they're only arrested for the purpose of being taken to court. Sometimes people are arrested, and the circumstances are such that the police, it happens really, but I've seen it happen in the past. The police decide actually there's no benefit of an interview, interview here at all, mm. and they just charge them. I've seen that happen a few times in driving matters, for example, but I've seen it happen in other cases as well. Um, I've, there's been cases where we've been to the police station. And it takes a very experienced police officer to do this. Not every police officer would do this, but I remember many years ago in Essex, I went to a police station and a person was being interviewed for quite a serious case. And the officer dealing with it was a ser- quite a senior officer from the Flying Squad. And the Flying Squad is Scotland Yard's um, is sort of a creme de la creme investigation crew. And I said to him, look, this allegation, the interview you're going to have, my client doesn't really want to do an interview, but I can put it all into a statement and have him sign it off and would you accept that and the officer said yeah I thought about it he said yeah, okay I'll do that and that's because you know being interviewed under caution is a recommended police practice and procedure it's not the only way to secure evidence if you wish if a police officer decides they can accept a written statement which is either read out an interview or not um so there's plenty of different ways uh, that, that this sort of happens. Now, with the, I'm really sorry, I've just gone off the topic, but with the fingerprint, photograph and DNA, <laughs> yeah. Um, once you're under arrest, the power uh, arises where the police can take that. And that can be done either with your consent or by force. Um, and I've seen it happen in the past. I've seen where someone's refused to give their fingerprint, and I've only seen it happen in London a few times I haven't seen it happen at Luton Police Station <coughs> but I'm sure it probably has in the past <clears throat> where the officers said the custody sergeant said to the detainee are you sure because we we can use force they've refused the solicitor's been called solicitors advised them but they still refused and then suddenly six or seven officers attend each grabs a limb each drag them to the fingerprinting machine and with force they make sure the fingerprint's done this happened you know Um, and really you don't want to go through all of that because in that process if you resist and push back you could be arrested for further offences of um in, uh, obstruction of a police constable In execution of his duty Or even assault PC mm. So, you know, it's much easier and simpler for everybody to just comply Because if you haven't done anything wrong And the case concludes You can also always apply to have Those samples that have been taken I was going to touch on removed. That. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah So that's the power that now exists And so you're better off doing it that way around Wait until your case is finished And then apply to have um, The fingerprint photograph um, and DNA records removed um, if um, you've been treated badly just comply, make your life as easy as possible and once your uh, procedure's concluded, then put a complaint in that's a much easier way to deal with it than to kick off and just make matters worse for yourself Alright, I think,
1: brilliant um, Okay, so now what's, now what's happened is I've been in the cell for a few few hours my solic- solicitor uh, arrives and he wants to advise me on my interview options, yeah, there are obviously pieces of advice that he's given me He's giving me three options and I'm to, I want you to
0: go through each. What's a no comment interview? I think the best way to explain the three options is to first explain the caution. Fine, go through, because, through the caution. Because and the then caution gives the power of the options. So we discussed at the start of the show what the caution is. Hmm. And we discussed that the mechani- it's a mechanism to ensure that whatever is said is can then be used as evidence. But what is the caution? The caution is made up of three paragraphs. The first paragraph is you do not have to say anything. In American films, you sometimes see them saying you have the right to remain silent. It's all the same thing. (laughs) You don't have to say anything. And the reason for that is this. In criminal law, if there's an allegation that you've done something wrong, then it is for the accuser, because we live in an accusatorial system, not an inquisitorial system. So it's for the accuser to prove or show that you've done what's being alleged and since it's Ramadan, since we're on a Muslim radio station and since sometimes I get asked the question of how can you do your job, how can you represent certain people and you know, do your job as a lawyer etc. It's a good point here to remind people that this doesn't come from English law. English law is built on a document known as the Magna Carta and this principle does not come from English law. It comes from one of our own systems. From, if you look at Sharia law, Islamic law, you know, Islamic jurisprudence, it is built on the same accusatorial system. That if someone is accusing someone of something, then they have to show proof, they have to show witnesses, they have to show evidence. And if you cannot show the evidence, then it's irrelevant whether a person has done it or not. Mm. The person is not guilty. And we we know many examples of that within Islamic law. And so it is a um, a, a principle which uh, is you can be seen rooted across the legal systems in the world. It's not just in the British legal system. And as like I said, it's something which is at the heart of Islamic Islamic jurisprudence, which we should be proud of. And I so guess that's, that's the, why it ties
1: into the caution, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first part of the caution. That's the first line of the caution. That for that reason, you don't have to say anything. Right. If you haven't done anything wrong, we don't have the evidence to prove it. You sit there and stay silent, or say no comment. There is no case. Case finished. That's your right, and, and that doesn't just come from this legal system. It comes from our own Islamic legal system as well. And that's the first bit. Second bit is though that f- f- this is a caveat that the uh, British legal system has. That like, okay, you might r- r- decide not to say anything, but sh- if you should you fail to mention something now, which you later rely on in court, it may harm your defence. So just to repeat that again, that's the second line of the caution. Should you fail to mention something now, which you later rely on in court, it may harm your defence. So what that means is, in normal terms, that, yes, you don't have to say anything, but if you come out with a story at a later date, which is either different to the story you told at the police station, or is a, a story that was never told at all because you said nothing at the police station, then the court has the power to draw what's called an adverse inference. Mm -hmm. It's not guaranteed, it's a possibility. So what can happen when you go to trial is that the jury will be told that at the police station you had the opportunity to say the story, but you didn't. And so if they wish, they may decide that the reason you didn't put the story forward in the first place is because you are lying. Yeah, You are lying and you've only now made the story up. And that is called an adverse inference. But that doesn't always happen because sometimes it might be a good reason a person hasn't answered those questions at the police station. Some examples of that could be... I'm going to go into that when I talk about the no comment because I'm going to explain that,
1: isn't it? The final part of the caution? The final
0: line of caution is anything you say, and this is the important bit, which is why the caution is used when people are arrested or booked into custody. Anything you say will be used as evidence which is quite straightforward, that from this moment onwards, anything you say will be used as evidence. And that is your warning, your underlining uh, statement, that you should be fully aware and very careful of anything you say from this point onwards. Anything you say that can help you, your lawyers will use as evidence for you. Anything you say which can harm you, the the prosecution will use against you. And is this final part of this uh, caution, this final line which is necessary to allow whatever you say to be used evidence. And believe it or not, Gias, there have been occasions in the past, and unfortunately for the police and fortunately for my clients, it's not our duty to highlight them about their mistakes. I have actually witnessed situations where people have been arrested and officers have forgotten to caution them. And then the case has been kicked out. During the interview, you mean? No, no, at arrest. Okay, yeah. And at interview as well, I've seen I've seen that happen too. And when it's happened, there's no need for us to say anything because that's their procedure normally. Fine, fine. So coming on from
1: that, I've been cautioned now, yeah, and I'm a, I'm aware of what the caution means. Um,
0: what's a no? What what's a common interview? Let's start with it. What's a comment? So interview? a comment interview, generally speaking, is when in interview you decide to answer the questions. I personally would say a comment interview would also include a situation where you put some sort of an account forward, whether it's in writing or by answering questions. But with the police and in the courts, when they say someone had a comment interview, they don't really include that. Mm. They, They say a comment interview is really where you've answered the questions orally as you've been asked. So that's called a full comment interview. Then you have a no comment interview, which I'm sure many people are familiar with, um, where you just sit there and say no comment. Mm. But those aren't the only two options. There's another two options available. The other option is if we explore the comment interview further, is the option to give a prepared statement. So either you or your solicitor can write a statement out. Interview starts, everyone introduces themselves, you're told your rights, you're given the caution which I just explained. The officer then starts off asking you about the allegation for which you arrested and being interviewed for. And at that point, over you or your solicitor hands in a prepared statement, a statement that's been written and signed by you, setting out your sequence of events. The advantage of a prepared statement is that after you've submitted it, you answer no comment or question. And so the possibility of you, uh, you know, tying yourself up into knots, from saying two different stories, even by mistake, are, are very unlikely. But then the disadvantage is you would never be able to give as detailed an interview as you would if you answer all the questions. So it's oh. a trade-off, and it depends from case to case of which one you use. But in some cases, you might decide not to answer questions and say no comment. But there's a fourth option, which is of staying silent. Now the fourth option of staying silent, there's two techniques for that as well. One technique for saying silent would be if um, the interview starts, everyone introduces themselves. You're told you're right, so you told your rights, your caution. You confirm you understand the caution. The officer asks you about the offence, and you say silent, and that's perfectly fine because you are not under a duty to answer any questions. Even say no comment. You mm. say silent. Police officers don't like that simply because um, by doing that. Um, it slows the interview down a little bit because the officer won't be sure if you're about to answer or not, and they have to wait a bit before you ask the next question. And it irritates them. But sometimes people find it easier. People find it very robotic to sit there, no comment, no comment, no comment. It's not normal behaviour, is it? No. So some people find it easier to sit there quietly and silent right. And I would say to everybody, do whatever is beneficial to you. But then there's the fourth option. That, that fourth was the f- or five? Yeah, you get four. There's you a fifth f- one. Right which is part of the fourth one, the no comment, and that's this one. At the start of the interview, everyone introduces themselves, I've said a few times now, they tell, they introduce themselves on the tape, so I'd say, my name is Mr Malik, solicitor, Mr Smith says I'm Mr Smith, date of birth, whatever, each officer introduces themselves, they tell you what your rights are, they tell you the caution, you confirm you agree, it, mm. and then you've got no comment. What you can actually is to say silent from the beginning. There's nothing in law that requires you, the suspect, to even introduce yourself, to even confirm that you understand the caution, at all. So there are situations where we have had interviews where right from the beginning, throughout the whole interview, the person said nothing. And so on that interview tape, there is no record of anything being said, and thus there is no recording of their voice.
1: Other than the... uh Obviously, the officer and maybe the solicitor. Yeah, no suspect. Okay. There is no recording of Go their on. voice at all. Excellent, excellent, brilliant insight there. Um, I want to ask you a, a question, and it gets put to me. And I know that it gets put to you several times. And I've, when you've appeared on TV, the first thing that I've got when I've gone onto your Twitter account and had a look, when I've gone to your Facebook account and had a look, I've seen this comment made time and time again. People think that there's something heinous
0: about saying no comment. Tell me why it, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it because you have to look at it from the perspective of you, the suspect. It's easy to sit in an armchair and um, you know be an armchair commentator, but until you are in those shoes, you know you cannot really critique it. I think the best example I can give is police officers,
1: mm.
0: the people who make the biggest noise. About people, about suspects going no comment. are police officers—they always say, "Why well, are you going no comment?" Uh, I've had custody sergeants say, "Oh, your client should have answered I'll questions. It too. It too. Yeah, you've yeah. messed up." Yes, have 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 you come across representing police officers when they're being investigated? Because I have mm. over the years. I mean, I've been in this game. I'm in, been in this game now for about twelve, thirteen years, right? <laughs> And I've represented police officers mm-hmm. more than once in London, Luton, Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire, Buckinghamshire, who are under investigation for criminal offences. Other than one, yeah. And I've been on the other side, where we've privately prosecuted police officers mm-hmm. for unlawful um, acts. And guess what? I've never come across a police officer who has ever answered a single question in the interview. They've either every single one of them has gone no comment or submitted a prepared statement so those who shout the loudest themselves when they're in the hot seat won't even answer the question and the reason for that is this when you're arrested in an interview you're not there to help people out you're there to safeguard yourself you're solicited to safeguard you and if in a circumstance you're in a position where there is no evidence there's no reason for you to answer questions if you weren't under arrest I mean I did an interview recently uh, over in Canary Wharf it was for a fraud case being prosecuted um, privately I think it was um, by HMRC or someone themselves, right? Now, when you're investigated by them, you're not under arrest. You're interviewed under caution, but you're not under arrest. So in that situation, what we did, and this is a good example, we the interview started, everyone introduced themselves, we handed a prepared statement in, and we said, can you stop the interview now, please? And we left. The officers were gobsmacked, not that it really matters, but... We, we did that because we weren't under arrest We had the power to leave Right. So the reason you're saying no comment interview Is because you don't have the power to leave So the only other option you have Because you're under arrest So the only other option you have Is to just say silent or go no comment Because you don't want to answer questions And the reason you wouldn't want to answer questions Is for example You might be innocent But by answering questions You could create a case against yourself Two There you might be someone else involved And by answering questions You don't want to get them in trouble Three you might not want to answer questions because if you do, your family might be under threat. Right. You, might be at, you might be under threat. Someone might do harm to you. So for the sake of that, you might think, you know what, I'd rather not answer any question and play it safe and decide at a later stage. Or in complex fraud cases, which we often see, fraud cases are based on historic data often. Bank tr- transactions, other transactions. And they're normally voluminous. I mean, I've sat through fraud interviews where we've gotten through bank statements going back five, six years. And for two hours, we just had entry after entry read out. On the 5th of December 2009, you went into Harrods at 10 a.m. Then you went into Louis Vuitton at 2 p.m. and this carries on like that. I mean, how is it possible for you sitting there without any access to your financial expert or your records to look at that and answer the questions or how are you meant to answer a question without looking at your own records of where were you three years ago at 10 p.m. on a certain saturday night do you see what i mean so there might be certain questions which you just can't answer without having your own opportunity to consult your own expert or your own records so there's a multitude of different scenarios where you might not be in a position to answer And therefore, you have to either go no comment or decide to leave if you're not under arrest in a voluntary interview um, after the interview started. Brilliant answer, Tig. Genuinely brilliant answer. Um, I'm very conscious of the time, so
1: I'm going to try to keep these questions quite uh, uh, succinct if I can. Okay, the interview's over with. Um, How long can they now hold me at the police station, ordinarily? So
0: ordinarily, they can hold you for 24 hours, but even that 24 hours is questionable. Mm. I mean generally they do it But the fact is For example If you're a youth You should be released as soon as possible You should be interviewed as soon as possible If a youth is kept overnight For the sake of convenience for a police That's a huge misconduct issue Even though you've got the 24 hour clock running You're not allowed to do that And so the same principle does extend to adults Obviously not in the same um, weight uh, or, or manner that it would uh, Uh, to a youth but it still applies the taking away of someone's liberty is very very important and it's for that reason um, when the person is under arrest an inspector has to review your detention Um, off the top of my head I think after the first nine hours and then six and six I think it is you have to be reviewed by an inspector and the purpose of the inspector reviewing, reviewing your detention is not just for your well-being make sure you're okay but to also ensure that your detention within that 24 hour clock is still necessary because you being the unnecessarily means your liberty has been taken away for no reason, which is very serious. And on top of that, it's a drain on resources, time and money for the government. They don't want you to be in there for longer than you need to be.
1: Fine. Um, listeners, I'm going to come back with the second part of this show next week, where we're going to be discussing the court side of this. But, Atik, I've now been charged with um, assault ABH and GBH, and they've given me bail conditions. What are bail conditions, mate? What are police station bail conditions?
0: So, Your liberty, liberty means freedom. Um, So your liberty uh, is very very important and when you're charged with an offence, the police can either decide to have no interference with your liberty, your freedom at all, have a lot of interference in terms of putting you in prison or jail until your case is heard, or have some interference with your liberty. So that some interference is like the middle ground. Hmm. And and that can be done with, by imposing certain conditions on you. And those conditions are called bail conditions. And they are regulated by the Bail Act. And so if you breach a bail condition, then you can be in breach of the Bail Act. Okay, um, Now, it's quite curious actually. Breaching a bail condition is not a criminal offence, by the way. Hmm. But... B- it would mean that you wouldn't get bail in the future. Mm. Um, But fail to appear at court is a bail act offence. So it's quite a weird anomaly there. But anyway, bail conditions could be, for example, you have to live at a certain address. You have to be indoors between certain hours. That being indoors may or may not be subject to uh, electronic tagging. Mm -hmm. We've now got a new system being rolled out across the country of GPS tagging which I think is brilliant. I don't know if people people uh, there might feel, but you can now get GPS tagging where when you've got the tag on, the police can monitor where you are day and night, which means that if you have a condition which you can't, cannot go to a certain location, the GPS tagging can help with that. Now you might think, well why would you want that for your clients? Reason is this. If GPS tagging works, there's even more of a reason why more people should be allowed out on bail. Yeah. There's less of reason why someone should be in custody, cut away from their family, cut away from their work and other commitments, when if GPS tagging is there, you can say, look, he'll be in Cambridge, he won't come to Luton, and your GPS tagging will show you 24 hours a day where he is. And so there is no chance of him committing an offence. Nothing is a good thing.
1: Alhamdulillah, take that is absolutely fascinating uh, listeners we were intended to go through the uh, court procedure as well but we're going to leave it till next week where we'll go through A to Z of what happens when you get to court how it gets funded who represents you how long it normally takes uh, Atik I just want you to say a quick goodbye to the listeners in relation to Ramadan um, I hope everyone's enjoyed the show Atik uh,
0: yeah everybody please tune in we've got some amazing shows coming on called Ramadan as well and please everybody you know be careful um, Ramadan a lot of time you've got kids at night time going through and getting up to nonsense so you know just be mindful please jazakallah listeners it's been an absolute pleasure
1: having, uh, being here for you uh, uh, and presenting this show um join us as i say next week for an in-depth look into what happens at court assalamualaikum warahmatullahi barakatuh ramadan mubarak
0: alaikum thank you for listening to our podcast why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at Inspire FM Luton.